podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Some of the topics are addiction, fear, faith, self-compassion, relationships, codependency, emotional intelligence, and more. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Jesus guides us to be forgiving of others, to be generous, to be compassionate, and to pray for our enemies. Some say Jesus Christ was just a man or maybe a great teacher. The Bible says Jesus wasn't just a spiritual individual. He was the Son of God. But some believe Jesus was God himself. Today, my conversation is with Reverend Edward Palmer. He says that Jesus was not God and that God is not just a concept, but rather a living spirit within our hearts. Here is the interview with Reverend Edward Palmer. Edward Palmer? Well, <laughs> that's a complicated question. <laughs> uh, I've always been uh, involved in high-tech technology endeavors, and, and one business venture had uh, gotten me involved with a charismatic church for a variety of reasons, uh, mainly because I had accepted God and had, uh, had this epiphany, and then I was being kind of pestered to go get involved with this church. So uh, I guess a short answer to your question is I've got a very high technology background. I got a business background. I have a extremely deep religious background. I've written several books on Christianity and I'm involved in writing a couple more books. That'll be very interesting as well. So great. Thank you. Blessed are the peacemakers for they you will be called sons of God. Gospel of Matthew, ninth verse of the fifth chapter in the New Testament. This is one of Jesus' teachings that is very much in alignment with your message and a concern that you have in your book, Seven and Times Message from God. If Jesus never called himself God, how did he become one? as taught in most churches? Well, that, that in, in itself is a very deep uh, historical question, but if I was going to give you a short answer, 
uh, it would it would be occurring somewhere around the hundred to two hundred A.D. Uh, where there was a division that uh, occurred within the church structure itself. And uh, part of that division came to the belief that uh, Jesus was God, and uh, in a sense there was a trinity. Now part of the trinity issue was involved historically with different religions and pagan religions, where there are multiple gods that are being worshipped. And uh, so... uh, the division that occurred uh, uh, within the church around that, say, 200 A.D., forced a lot of conversations and uh, divisiveness, and eventually, in I think 325 uh, uh, A.D., uh, the Emperor Constantine declared that the Trinity uh, was the true God. So, in other words, he declared Jesus was God, uh, God was the Spirit, and uh, God was the Father, and then all three of those were independent people or persons, and all three of them uh, had equality. And so it was the church that declared that. Interesting enough, Constantine on his deathbed recanted and uh, came to the truth that uh, Jesus was not God. And uh, but ensuing, it was whole. It was very political. People that backed the idea that Jesus. Uh, was a son of God, uh, were under a camp called uh, uh, Arius, and uh, eventually the Catholic Church drove them underground, and eventually they started killing everybody that would not uh, state unequivocally uh, a belief in the Trinity. And so everybody went underground, and now everything's kind of coming out, and it's all coming back out. But uh, also the scriptures were very limited in terms of availability, until right around 1300 when the uh, King James Bible was printed. Uh, But now we've even gone further. So now you not only have tons of Bibles available to you. I think I myself have over 75 Bibles. Uh, But I also have software now. The software is now available uh, for you to search on your own. Uh, There's Greek and Hebrew interlinear texts where they'll show you the Greek or the Hebrew alongside English translations. You, you have software available to go back and forth, and you can look at all this stuff yourself and make your own decision. Uh, but still, today, uh, many pastors or churches would tell their congregants, do not read the Bible. You cannot understand this. This is particularly used in the Catholic Church. Uh, I had a Catholic friend that was teaching, and he uh, was reading the Bible, and then he ran across some things that were opposite of what the church was teaching. And uh, he was told not to look at that and to just follow their educational guidelines uh, instructions. And, well, in, in a short order, he left the church, and I've known a lot of other people, and, and including myself, which was not a Catholic. I left the church at large because the church in my eyes teaches against what Jesus Christ taught. So uh, what started off as a dictate from Constantine uh, that we need to believe this this version of who God is, and, and part of that was based upon all the paganism uh, uh, gods that were out there. And, uh, and now in a limited scripture and now we've got this whole thing's available anybody that really wants to know the truth of god's word can find you can find probably 30 or 40 bibles online that are free to search 
Now, so it's not just software available for your computer. Also, there's many websites now that will have this information for you. Yes, um, a lot of people um, in this world have conceptualized the idea of God. How did you find God spiritually? Or, um, or how did God find you, in a way? Yeah, I, I often muse about the fact I probably made a deal with God when I was five years old and, and attended Catholic kindergarten, because some of the things uh, that have happened in my life I don't have any explanation for. God, I was raised a Lutheran, but uh, there was a Catholic uh, church that was close by when I was going to kindergarten. So I walked up about four blocks to a Catholic church and attended kindergarten. I have no idea of what was said or what was done or what I learned. I just remember walking to the Catholic <laughs> kindergarten school. Anyways, uh, so I'm musing about that because all throughout my life I have been tugged spiritually uh, by God in many different ways. Uh, one of those ways is constantly, I need to read the Bible. I had this, I need to read the Bible. So uh, many, many times I, I attempted to read the Bible and I just couldn't get past Genesis with all the beginning, you know, uh, so-and-so begot this guy and whatnot. And the, the language, and I had a King James Bible and the language is extremely stilted. And I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't get it. So God tugged on me many, many different ways. And then uh, I was involved in a business uh, venture, one of them, uh, of a number of business ventures I was involved in after I got out of the Navy. And um, this particular business venture was headed into disaster uh, and eventually went bankrupt. Uh, and I had a very strong mind. And I had studied all kinds of business stuff, and I had pulled every lever I could pull, use every tactic that I could use mm -hmm. uh, to raise capital and expand this business. And it all amounted to like a dead end. So at that particular point in time, I, I was somewhat thinking that I was dealing with some impossibilities. And I am a, like a kid in the candy store. So, I mean, I'm always looking for stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm always thinking that I'm going to come out on top of everything. But this particular moment, it was in 1978 when I was 32, that I just I had run into dead ends. And it was quite obvious to me that uh, this was almost over. And uh, I had a friend that had given me a copy of uh, – Earl Nightingale's Strangest Secret about 18 months earlier. And at that particular moment in time, I just, you know, I'm just going to sit down, give up on everything right now, listen to this audio tape, which I have been nudged on by God's spirit for quite a while to just listen. So I listened to it. And in, in The Strangest Secret is you become what you think about all day long. But mm -hmm. uh, in, in that uh, tape, uh, Earl Nightingale quotes Mark 9.23 which reads, if thou can believe, all things are possible. So when I heard that, and I played it back a couple of times, I said, well, that can't possibly be in the Bible. Now, I don't even know why I told myself that, because I had never uh, read the Bible, so there's no way I would know what was in there or not. But I grabbed the Bible, I took a look at the verse, I stared at the words, read it out loud a couple of times, and then all of a sudden this huge light went off in my brain and I understood something that God was trying to get me to understand for years and years, that he was real and that he could help in the situation. I looked up uh, at the ceiling and, uh, and I said, God, I get it. Finally, you lead and I'll follow. 
and and that's the way my life has been for the last four decades. Now, I quickly raced in and told my wife at the time, my my wife Jackie, uh, who, who later passed on. But at the time, I said, I, I found God. And she looked at me, and she said, what took you so long? <laughs> oh, it took Fair you at that time. We had right. been married 15 years. So uh, that was it. It was a moment of epiphany, and it was based upon a Bible verse. And uh, God touched me in a way that I finally got it. Yes. There are so many ways we can um, realize that, realize um, God, right? Do you think that most people are actually afraid to listen to the voice of God? Yes, I do. And, and, uh, but there's also a variety of reasons that would account for that. First of all, the vast, the vast majority of humans have simply lost touch with God and the reality that God actually exists in uh, some of the reasons for that is we are in a very, very strong secular society now, and there's many, many efforts to eradicate God from all vestiges of uh, our society. I mean, if you go back 50 years and stuff, the church itself was responsible for helping people that were homeless and needed shelter or needed food. And eventually the government started taking over all these things and squeezing the churches out of play. And so you used to run to the church for help if you really needed it as a family member. Now you run to the government. So there's mm-hmm. we're in a secular society, and the, the God is, quite frankly, not even on most people's radar. Well, then you have a second issue involved is that uh, we are so busy. We are so busy in life that noise itself just crowds out any possibility of uh, finding God. Now, the Bible says be still and know that I am God. And that's in Psalm 46.10. So anybody that really wants to get uh, into communion with God has got to find a, a, a quiet place. They've got to get into their Bible. They've got to turn off their gadgets or iPhones or whatnot. Uh, and and they, they have to find a place where they're just not going to be disturbed, where they can get into very, very quiet. Because... God's voice is very, very quiet. It's like a simple thought in our in our, our brain. Well, it's kind of even hard to think about family members if you got large music playing in the background. Mm-hmm. So that's just one illustration. We just have to get quiet. And uh, uh, there, there's a there's a third reason that I thought of as we were, we were having a discussion about this is that most people don't even realize that their brain is actually a receptor of thoughts. Now, Napoleon Hill in his book called The Laws of Success explained this, is that your brain can pick up thoughts just like a radio can pick up radio waves. And so I think every one of us experiences this where all of a sudden some random thought comes into our head. And the first response is, where did that come from? You know? Yeah. In other words, we think. Uh, thoughts ourselves and there's a whole thinking process and everybody knows when they're actually thinking something but uh, other times stuff just pops into our brains and uh, you know writers refer to this as inspiration Uh, and so me if a good thought comes in my head and I didn't think it to me that's from God and and some bad pops in my head as far as I'm concerned that's from the other side, the evil side. And I just say, uh, get thee behind me, Satan, because I only want the good stuff. And so those are the reasons why, why people find it very difficult to uh, listen to God. 
this quiet place you talk about, like stillness, um, could that be found uh, within the noise, like within us, among this um, this noise from the um, external world? Is that uh, is that possible? Do you think? I do think it's possible for some people to to find that uh, find God in in midst of the noise, but it's going to have to be someone who is very very able to concentrate it's like you've got this massive amount of noise or a massive amount of visual stuff and somebody out there can see through it all and pick something out and and you can find god there's also another verse in jeremiah 29 13 that states uh, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart so anybody that really wants to find god it's just they should go on a quest <laughs> with all their heart, you know, yeah. and they will they will find them. But no, you're right; it can be picked out. Uh, but for the most part, the noise and visual noise and, and uh, audible noise drowns out any chance of people really connecting with the spiritual thing. Yes, I would say so. In a way, like you're saying, if you're not skilled enough, um, then you need to find the place to pray in the quiet or around nature. There's a question I have for you about being ready to meet God. Uh, in your book, Seven and Times Message from God, you wrote, I cannot get you or anyone else to listen, meaning the words of God. In fact, it is not even my job. That is a job for God's Spirit of Truth, also known as the Holy Spirit. Pray. So, with God's Spirit um, of Truth, know when a person is ready to listen to its voice? Yeah, I, th I think uh, that's true. In my own case, I, I know that God pestered me. I, I can use that word because I know it's true. I, I got several instances where I absolutely know God was pestering me. And then the question is, uh, who's talking to me? And I mean, at one hand, uh, you get some very, very strange stuff that'll happen along the way spiritually but for certain god would know when you're ready and will actually engage people to step into your way you know for example uh, uh, a mom would pray for her daughter and maybe may years may be removed from that prayer and the daughter actually fulfills her mother's prayer and you're sending the question you got answered uh, did god answer the mom's prayer well yeah, and maybe there's many, many uh, events removed, many years removed, uh, but God knows the timing. This is, a, this is the one thing we don't know ourselves, mm -hmm. is God's timing on things. I mean, we can guess at different things, uh, but things pop pop in, and, and too often the prayer that we do make uh, to God, uh, when it is fulfilled, is simply dismissed as serendipitous instead of God's answer to our actual prayer. I've seen many cases of that and, and I probably did that myself in the past. And so you've you've got uh even divine appointments between parties that might contain something of importance to both parties that uh all of a sudden you just coincidentally meet so and so and, and they've got a solution for you or you got a solution for them or you got a common prayer that you need to talk about or something. Yeah, there is uh, divine appointments and prayers and all that stuff. God is fully aware of all that stuff. I'm convinced of that, that he, he knows the timing of everything. And even if we're not willing to listen, doesn't mean he won't pester us. 
and it certainly knows he, he knows at which point in time that we are really open. You know, he knew that at age 32, my heart would be opened. You know, there's we, we talk about this being uh, able to accept the concept of God, and, and many, many Christians accept that concept of God, but it's all in their head. I found out that the longest distance to travel is about 18 inches. It's from the head down to the heart. Mm-hmm. That's where God needs to get into uh, our bodies. It's in, in our heart, where we cherish mm-hmm. the people we love. That's where God wants to be. And that's in the heart of hearts. I wanted to make a comment about God knowing the right time to kind of manifest um, Him uh, in us. Wouldn't be now the right time? Yes, I think it would. There's a, there's a huge, uh, <laughs> depending on which one you want to look at it, there's a huge mess out there in, in the world today. Uh, there's all kinds of conflict, and that is absolutely kind of what's been forecasted in the new testament by jesus himself you know he's listed a number of events in matthew 24 and if you take a look at them everything's already been happening up to about verse 14 uh so we should be listening you know and he said in there do not let your heart be troubled all these things have got to come to pass but the world is still so noisy and there's so many new gadgets are coming up and and we're just so confronted with all these choices to actually sit down with a book nowadays and in a quiet place to read that's getting you know it's a thing we should do and and wise parents would teach your children to put the gadgets down and read some books yes uh, and and that's where we need to go but I'm I'm not seeing that as a general trend or anything. I think a lot of people are getting aware of the craziness on a number of fronts. And so. Yeah, which is a, is a good thing. Yeah, there are um, a lot of people trying to do the work of bringing the message of God, or awareness, enlightenment, uh, the goodness or greatness to the world. A lot of people are doing the job. I can, I can see that all over the internet, um, in my city. It seems like it's not enough, right? We need more yeah. of that. I, I think technology has given us more opportunity to get love out into the world. Uh, at the same time, it's given a lot of other crazy people on a similar platform. So now uh, there's so much what I, you'd have to call fake news and articles and whatnot that the job of actually finding the truth is is getting to be very difficult you got to search through an awful lot of noise out there to find uh, the reality that you seek in the four expectations of christ the first expectation it's open up your heart and listen to god and his son jesus that we take to our hearts the message now being given so this is from your book and you just mentioned about the heart and, and taking uh, god to our hearts once we have God in our hearts, how can we show this in the world? How can we manifest this in the world? Can you give me some examples? Yeah, I can. Uh, well, the essence of the question is basically, how do we manifest a true belief in anything that's inside of our heart or hearts and is a concern to us? I mean, so that could be anything. So you'd, ask, you'd have to ask the question, 
does a grossly obese and overweight doctor truly believe in having a human uh, weight that's healthy for himself? And so, you, you know, does he really believe that? Would you seek dieting advice from him? Would you believe his advice on your, on your own heart health? Because if he really actually believed uh, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have let himself go crazy with his weight. You could say the same thing about a nurse. If a if a nurse tells you you shouldn't smoke, it's unhealthy for you. It's going to cause cancer to lungs, and whatnot. And then goes out during his break and smokes cigarettes. Then you ask the question: Do they truly believe? And this is where the difference comes. It's in the head, and it needs to get down from the head and into the heart. Now, once it's into the heart. Then it manifests itself. If you truly believe something, you're going to want to take action. So uh, we manifest into the world God's message through our actions. But we can't do that if it's just in our heads because that alone, mind knowledge by itself, you know, they all, you often hear the word, the, the phrase, knowledge is power. And that's not true. It's really uh, knowledge that is acted upon. That's mm-hmm. where the power is. And that doesn't happen yes. automatically. It comes from the heart. You know, we've got to get, we've got to somehow get God and whatever we want into our hearts. And then once it's into our hearts, uh, then we can act upon it. Jesus made the statement that we're to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And so I think there's a distinction there. If we if we espouse something, then but we don't act upon it, and then we're just we're talking. To talk, and we're not actually walking our walk. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's we have to be doers, uh, and and that only comes from the heart. Bible tells us that action comes from the heart. So, if we want if we want to manifest something, it has to come out of our hearts. Yes, I agree. Which brings me to the next um, passage. I would like to understand this better because I was sort of um, confused. It says. One of Jesus' teachings is that the way to God is by faith, not through good deeds. Yeah, there, this is an interesting uh, uh, spiritual issue, and uh, uh, it, it involves, you know, James, let me put it, James, uh, Apostle James said that you, you talk about your faith but I'll show you my faith uh, through my deeds. So if you actually believe, and this gets back down to the heart of heart's belief. If you actually believe something is true, then you're going to act upon it. If you actually believe that smoking is going to kill you, then you're going to quit smoking. I know I did. <laughs> Good. And so you, you, you have that kind of conflict there, but it's faith that's manifested through these. Because the Bible tells us, uh, that you will be rewarded or condemned by your life, all right? So there is a accounting that's going to be made of what we've done with our lives. But the way to God uh, comes from faith. It's my faith that God is real that allows me to take actions in regards to that faith. If if it's just in the mind, then that that can't possibly be acted upon because it's not really true belief. So the the contrast is is a salvation does not come by whatever you can do by yourself. In other words, I can't and this is a problem I've thought about many times when it comes to health. My first wife Jackie died of uh, pancreatic cancer about 17 years ago and I know that if I had been a rich man 
I would have dragged her down to Mexico and all over the world trying to find a cure. All right, so money is 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 a way that a lot of people will try and buy things. In other words, I've got the money. I can do it myself. I can buy this contractor to make the house better. I can buy this doctor, whatever, whatever services they have. So in that sense, people try to do things on their own. God's message is no. You're not, you're not going to be able to buy your way into heaven, and, and no matter what you do, that's not going to make it. You're going to have to demonstrate faith. You're going to have to accept that God exists. You're going to have to accept that uh, Jesus is what he said is true. And then if you actually do accept that stuff and, and you actually submit to God, because that's part of, God, part of the equation is submitting to God's standards, not human standards. Because a lot of things are upside mm-hmm. down. Right. You know, we think one right. thing is humans and God thinks something else. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered that question. Uh, um, but if you really believed, if you really had faith that God is real, that Jesus was real, and that whatever they taught us in Scripture was truth, then you would actually go about the business of living a life that was consistent with those words. Yeah. So I don't know if I answered that question. But if you really believed, if you really had faith that God is real, that Jesus was real, and that whatever they taught us in Scripture was truth, then you would actually go about the business of living a life that was consistent with those words. Right. So by trying to do things that are good, just to show that we are good people, it doesn't necessarily mean that we have faith, right, in God. This is not a way to God. Yes, that is uh, one way of looking at it. It's the difference between true belief and then well, uh, you know, my son was once asked by a counselor, so exactly uh, from a scale of zero to 10, how much is God in your life? And my son said, well, I don't really understand that. And then, well, let me put it this way. Is God like uh, zero to four? He's kind of like fire insurance for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or is he, you know, he's up there eight or nine that you're really living a life that is spiritual and you're doing good things because Knowing your heart of hearts that that's what God would have you do. So it's the difference between people on one side of the equation going to church on Sunday and then living a life uh, that is, does not respect God the rest of the week. But because they go to Sunday, maybe they go to a Catholic church and take communion. And so under, under Catholicism, then they, they're getting the, their sins forgiven for the week or whatever. Right. I, don't, I don't know how all that works, but the difference is. It's not human efforts by ourselves. Okay. So, yeah. So it's not our rational minds trying to guide our way through life uh, by yeah. doing things. Um, so can you explain to me, if possible, what is faith exactly? I mean, faith in God. Well, uh, the clearest definition, I think, is in Hebrews is faith is a substance of things hoped for. So you can't uh-huh. see it. You can't see it, but in your in in your being, you feel that this is the right thing for you, or you, you feel that this is going to happen. So you have faith. Uh, I mean, a, a good illustration is this, if someone in the family is has uh, is a deathly sick with an illness, uh, and there doesn't appear to be any cure, uh, then people will pray under those circumstances. I know I have, and and um, gone to the mat and praying. You have faith that God will hear your prayers. Now, sometimes we don't get the answer we want because with God, the answer is yes, no, or 
maybe or not this time maybe in the future so there's there's you know we always want what we want when we want it and i think our modern society's kind of uh, got us into uh, uh instant gratification but the reality is that sometimes things take time years even before you know manifests itself and and people with faith uh, they work towards these things, even if it takes them years and years and years. So you see that in the uh, clearest illustration of my brain right now is in business. Nothing is instantaneous in business. People have to really work, sweat, work long hours, and, and they work sometimes work for years. Yes. Um, and they do that in faith, uh, believing that their efforts will eventually pay off. And sometimes, sometimes they don't, but it's the faith that they have that takes them down this path where uh, rational people might say, oh, no, you are just wasting your time doing this. You know, I can I can look at him, but the person of faith says, no, I, I think I'll go down here. I believe this is going to happen. And especially true with God and various adventures God might call you on. Sometimes there's not a payoff for maybe decades. Right. Or, I like to understand faith in a way that is everything that's happening now, it's supposed to happen. Like it's happened for a reason, for good reason. That's how I define uh, faith in my life. Yes, yeah. It's a hard lesson for people to accept that wherever you're at is exactly where you're supposed to be. And not only for the choices that you've made, but maybe because God wants you there. I know that at this moment in time in my life, I am exactly where God would have me be. Mm. Now, that might not be where I personally would rather be. <laughs> right. You know, there's a difference. There's a there's a there's yeah. a difference here because I I could think of a number of different places that might be more ad- advantageous to me as a uh, as a male uh, in in an elder statesman maybe or whatever. But uh, it's where he wants me to be, and I'm happy with that. So, but we we get in a situation where. A spiritual happiness uh, and contentment, like Paul says, when I've when I've got uh, lots of stuff, I'm content, and when I don't have much, I I'm still content. To to be in that place is different uh, than what a secular society teaches people, which is um, not the same as accepting, um, let's say, abuse, right? I think yes. we have to then we have to rationalize uh, the situation. This is another passage uh, that I want. I would like you to explain to me. Accept Jesus' teaching that the identity of His and our God, it's actually just the Father. So this, this probably relates a lot to both the heart and, and the faith issue, but without a clear understanding of who Jesus was in relationship to His and our God, uh, Holy Scripture becomes unintelligent. I mean, you can read it differently if you think that Jesus is God. Now, this whole Trinity thing, which I said was kind of instigated by uh, uh, Constantine in around 325 AD, and now greatly expanded, it's expanded so much that uh, when you read about God in in the uh, uh, Old Testament, that uh, a lot of theologians today will tell you that that God in the Old Testament is really Jesus, and uh, they'll stick with the 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 Trinity thing that God is three in one and every part's equal with one another. But in the Old Testament by itself, there's over 11,000 instances where God is referred to in the singular pronoun. It's me, I, mine, 
that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You can't then say, well, uh, God's three and uh, three and one. And so, anyways, you get you get into this faith issue. What's really the truth, and why why does it matter? It matters because if you don't understand Jesus was the Son, and you think he uh, was really God who came down and died on the cross for you. Then you get in all kinds of weird stuff like, well, when he was on the mount, was was he talking to himself when, when uh, God the Father said down, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased? Because I have one book from a Catholic theologian that actually says that. God was so pleased with himself. He looked down upon himself and said, "This is who I am. I'm well pleased with myself." You get into uh, you get into crazy conversations, but in John twenty seventeen, Jesus himself said, "I'm going back to my God and to your God, and to my Father and to your Father." So now, in that very verse, and there's others, many others I could cite, and I have in one of the books, the Trinity Dogma book that I wrote. These are words of Jesus, and, and, and the question is, can't we just accept what Jesus said? Uh, the answer from the church is, no, you can't interpret that, but it is plain language that a third grader could read and understand. So here in John twenty seventeen, Jesus is saying that the Father is actually God and that he's uh, his God and uh, your God as well. And then if you go on to 1 Corinthians 8, 6, you'll find that Paul actually confirms that. Paul says, yet for one for us, there is only one God, the Father. And so, you know, there's many other verses I could cite, but the question becomes, why do we have to have that understanding? And understanding is, is uh, from my perspective, is you can't get the truth out of Scripture that God wants you to have if you're reading it with that perspective. Why is it really important to understand that Jesus was not God? Well, that's going to get into uh, uh, the issue of truth. Now, in in uh, in Scripture and Second Thessalonians, there's a lot of grief coming for those people that do not know who God is. There's some there's some very very hard stuff that's spoken of in the New Testament about this, and it gets back into the issue of truth, which I think is going to be your next question: What is God's truth? And uh, that that gets back into the issue of Jesus not being God, not because I desire that to be reality. It's because that's what Jesus himself taught in many scriptures. And and uh, he even said, "What what is truth?" And, and Jesus said, "God is God's word is truth." So we're in this conflict right now, and you see it in a lot of theological discussions. Uh, people debate two sides of an issue, but if you take a look at Scripture itself, the Bible, the words of the Bible, you will find that 98% of those words are what could be termed exoteric. They're meant to be understood by everybody. And the Bible, I think, is is somewhere on a fifth or sixth grade level. Now, the other 2% are what, what could be termed esoteric. They're They're confusing Scriptures. Even Paul's teachings have been uh, spoken of as very uh, difficult to understand in, in, in the New Testament. I think Peter said that or somebody. And so uh, we can look at the majority stuff, and we can look at John 2017, and, and we can see Jesus saying that, you know, I have to go back to my God 
and your God and to my father and your father. So I, I have a hard time understanding that. Now, there's many other verses that are like that. I have a hard understanding, a hard time understanding why it is uh, that theology uh, ignores that. And uh, that will that will be a subject of another. I'm, I'm getting to write two more books. One is The Doctor's Death Diagnosis. <laughs> I'm gonna gonna write for a friend of mine, and then the then the next book after that is gonna be titled uh, "Did Jesus Lie," and with the subtitle uh, "God's Answer to Theology." So I will address the question in much more depth. But the short answer is, hey, he said it. Why why can't I believe it? But it goes back. If you look at John twelve forty eight, Jesus said, "My words are not mine; they're given to me by God." And these words will judge you in the end time. So if we uh, if we if we go about the business of trying to convince people something that is opposite of what Jesus taught, uh, how does that make us friends with God? Kind of makes us an enemy. We teach actually. We most churches today teach against what Scripture says in the New Testament. And if you confront them with it, you're not going to like the answer that you get. They'll probably throw you out of their church because they don't want no conflict. I guess my question is more something like, if we leave aside the interpretation of what's written in the Bible, then we, let's say me, and I believe uh, that Jesus was God, what's the problem? What would be the consequence of my belief? I actually did address that question in the, in the book of Edward, and so let's just say you believe in the Trinity doctrine, that you believe Jesus is God, then then uh, you may, in essence, be one of many, many people who do not understand who Jesus was or who God really is, but that, in one instance, might not matter one bit. Mm-hmm. It all depends on where you're going to take it, because the church has taken it at large, is that you need to believe Jesus is God and that your sins are forgiven forever, and, and basically— People take it to the next level. On no matter, I I can do whatever I want on on this uh-huh. planet. Now, so on one hand, you have Christians that take this Trinity doctrine and they use it as an excuse for doing anything they want on the planet. We don't have the right to do anything we want on the planet. Mm-hmm. We don't. And, but the other hand, you've got a person that believes Jesus is God, but to them, it's in their heart that they need to obey whatever he taught. And there's another wrinkle there. <laughs> if we actually obeyed him and and took to heart what he taught, uh, then we can't say that Jesus is God. Because then, in essence, we're denying what he taught us. So uh, there's there's a scripture that covers all this. It's in James 4.17. It's, uh, it re- reads, so if you, if you know what is right to do and you do not do that, to you, that's sin. Now, let me give you the contrast. Mm-hmm. The contrast on one hand is a layperson who's never read the Bible and just accepts what's being taught, and they're living a good life. They're trying to be a good person. That's one instance. The other instance is maybe Episcopalian bishop uh, that bolts against God. Now, he's, he's going to be held to a different standard because uh, we were taught that I can't do things that another person could do, mainly because my knowledge of God's word is too deep at this point in time. So I, you know, there's a teaching in the scripture that says teachers will be held to a higher standard. And you see that in James 4.17. So the sin standard in James 4.17 
will be applied differently, depending upon who knows what, which might shake a lot of people up, but that's what it says. You know, right. you're going to have different standards. A lay person's not, a lay person who's never read the Bible will be treated with one standard. Me, I've been deep in scripture for over four decades. I'm going to be treated totally different. I like that, that we should understand God from that point of view. There is another passage that I'd like you to explain, and that is, when he returns for souls, will Christ find you going about God's business? Will he find your spiritual light shining? It gets back into uh, what Jesus also taught when uh, he was confronted and uh, someone told him his brothers were there. They want to talk to him, his mother, as well. And uh, Jesus appointed and said, who are my brothers? And I could say, who are my sisters? And add women in inclusively because that's really should be done today. And who is who, who was my mother? And then he, then he cites it. It's those who are going about God's business. All right. So if we really, if, you know, and I view Jesus as a brother. And I can say I'm his brother because I'm going about his business. Uh, God's business is what it is. And uh, so uh, Jesus made the statement, it can get expanded upon in a number of different ways, but uh, basically he's saying that if we really, if we if we have a strong belief, that's down in our heart and we will be taking action on it. One of God's seven spirits stated in your book says, without the fear of God, there is little chance of true obedience to His Word. How can fear bring us closer to God? Isn't it fear the opposite of love? It's a very, very interesting uh, uh, discussion. But we read, we read in Proverbs uh, 9.10 that the fear of the Lord uh, is the beginning of the wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So if we start off from a ground zero point of view and we say to ourselves, there is no God, then, hey, there's fear is not even the question, is there? There is no heaven, there is no hell. If we say uh, there is a heaven and there is a hell and God is real and he's going to hold us accountable, then fear is the beginning of understanding. But the Bible also tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. So while we start off in fear, and, and maybe it may be more like let's, let's think about uh, uh, going out into the ocean in a boat. Uh, you're going to have a healthy respect for the ocean. And maybe and if you're in a storm on the ocean, you've got a lot of fear for your life uh, in, in that instance. And part of that is sheer awe, sheer awe of nature. It could be you could be out driving in a snowstorm with your car and having the same issue. There's going to be fear. There's going to be awe and a deep respect, mm, respect. for what you're involved in. Okay. Right. And so that that is the beginning of wisdom with God. It's the same understanding that we have with Mother Nature that we have with God. But at some point, our love for God translates into our obedience. But it started off as, as a healthy respect, awe, and fear. You know, I can tell you exactly how I believe this occurs in my life because I walk with God in love, and there's that understanding. And I let God set the boundaries and fences, which, by the way, are way wider than what I would have ever sent, <laughs> set for myself as a human. Mm -hmm. It's just more, much more broad. All right, so to me, it's like being in the middle or the eye of a hurricane. 
in the middle, I'm totally at peace, all right? I'm walking with God, and I've got this wide swath of area I can walk around and do things in. But if I stray too far off to one side or the other, all of a sudden I'm really in a violent, violent mm-hmm. storm. I'm scared for my life. And, uh-huh. and God reminds me, now come back, come back in third center. So, uh, you know, you can, you can experience. That's a good analogy with the weather. Uh, to use the awe and uh, respect you have to have for Mother Nature and its awesomeness. And uh, at one point, it's fear. And at another point, it's sheer love. You could be out there looking at a beautiful sunset on the ocean, down in Miami, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right, right here. Um, so that's, that, that is interesting. The way I think is that, um, so it goes back to faith. So it's not really, I mean, fear, it's inevitable, right? To be, to, to be afraid, scared. But if you have faith, then you just let fear kind of go through you. And it's yes. sort of, um, you know, it's, it's still shaky and it's, it's scary. But there, when there's faith, then it's possible even to cross that bridge, you know, to, yes. to swing that move, ocean. Yeah. yeah. As you move closer, there's an interesting verse in the scripture that I've cited in one of the books. It says, if you move closer to God, he'll move closer to you. Mm. That's actually in James. Uh, I like that. Book of James. So, you know, and I did an illustration where I showed these steps. Mm-hmm. All right. So I take a step closer to God. He takes a step closer to me. Yeah. We keep stepping closer and closer mm-hmm. to each other. At some point, mm-hmm. you're in his presence and mm-hmm. you're going to feel pure love. And so there is no fear. All you do is feel his love, his love for you and your love for him. And so it's gone. That's where you get in this perfect love casts out all fear because you can't uh, you, you can't have fear occupying your your thinking and, and body if you're feeling love. I did this, by the way. I had this particular manager I didn't particularly care for, and he's always throwing stuff on my crew at the last minute and demanding we work all night to give them the answers. And so on one hand, from a human perspective, from a human perspective, when I went up to his door to give him his answer, I'm thinking I should just really sock it to this guy. And then my spirit said, my spirit says, no, Jim is just another child of God. So mm-hmm. once you implant love into your thought process, you cannot then feel a hatred or uh, despising somebody. You can't occupy those same emotions at the same time. So our job is to put mm-hmm. love in our, our hearts and our brains and, and that'll manifest outward is love. Um, what is the difference between a religious and a spiritual person? Yeah, I'd, I'd have to say that I believe that a spiritual person has a good motivation and he could use the religion to advance God's value in society. On the other hand, a religious person uh, might have a bad motivation and may be going through it for appearance's sake. I need to do this or that, so I'll go to church, everybody think I'm a nice person. And then the rest of the week, I can do whatever I want to do. So it's it gets back to uh, motivation and uh, either self-serving or serving God. A religious person is most likely not going to be serving God's interest. A spiritual person is probably going to be, regardless of what religion they're in. If they're really spiritual, they have an understanding of love and they have an understanding of God to some extent. And they want to manifest that outward. Yes. So. Yeah. It's better to be a spiritual person than to be a religious person. 
Right. A religious person will have, will be carried by dogmas, yeah, yes. most likely. As of today, what are three things you know for sure that can lead us to well-being? I've got a, I've got a couple uh, answers to that question. One is that mm. God exists, is number one. God exists. Jesus, Jesus existed as a human male. And the third thing is God's spirit will manifest itself within people that choose to commune with him. Or I could say it a different way. I could say God is in charge. Every human has the power to choose. Every human is unique in and of themselves. And every human has a purpose on this earthly journey of ours. There's two ways of looking at things that I absolutely know for sure. I like that. This is the end of our interview. Please tell us about um, your work and where we can find your books or where we can find you. Yeah, I have uh, uh, several ministry websites. Uh, one is at apostleministry.org, where you'll see a doctrinal statement of what I believe that Scripture teaches us. The second one is at edwardtheapostle.org. Here you'll find the four-volume book of Edward that I wrote. There's, you can actually uh, read this online in a graphical form uh, with kind of a book slider that I've created. Uh, it's also, these sites are all responsive sites now, so they'll work on all devices. But if you're using a small a smartphone and stuff, you're, you're back to where I was in 1987 with a small Mac screen where you have to kind of take the page and kind of expand it up and slide it to the right, up and down, uh, to the left or whatever to read it. Seven Messages, uh, which has been mainly the talk of this discussion, that's at sevenmessages.com. Uh, site and there again you'll find the book free to read in graphical form then there's trinitydogma.com which is also these these books are all free to read and there's links to catalogs and they're all available in print versions and uh, they're available as uh, pdf files from the ministry searchable pdf files so there's you know you can go online and just look at it and, and read whatever you want to read uh, either part of it or a whole part i don't really care uh it's god's word that's given to me and uh i do uh paul also paul made tents to support his ministry i do uh, uh tech support services and uh, design websites a variety of Ways so you can find that one at icnewswire.net. That's icnewswire.net. Um, that was actually a site I, I started many many years ago to uh, help get the word out because every time you try to get the word out through a traditional newswire service, they edit everything so bad that they basically neuter whatever you were trying to tell people about. <laughs> wow. So I, I, I provided a service to help people get uh, their news out that was more controversial, more controversial news like maybe uh, Jesus is not really God because he said he wasn't God. Mm -hmm. uh, that would be controversial. But anyways, it's been converted strictly to uh, offer uh, some services of mine. You'll find detailed information uh, about me and the services at that site. So. Thank you so much, Reverend Edward. I really appreciate it, and um, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, nice talking to you. Bye for now. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Reverend Edward Palmer, please visit his website, 
edwardtheapostle.org. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I also want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath and Mark Basden for their support. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.